Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. We're taking a, a, a brief uh, moment to both consider and celebrate uh, the Reformation. And so the question we're asking tonight is why? Why, why? why do we want to celebrate? Why do we want to consider the Protestant Reformation, and I'm proposing four reasons for us, and then I'm going to do a short exposition because the fourth reason leads into uh, an exposition of Romans chapter 5 verse 1. So if you need a text for tonight, that's where we're going to be landing in Romans 5 verse 1. But my first reason for why we consider and celebrate the Reformation is this. Number one, the Reformation reminds us of God's faithfulness to His church. There is a danger associated with Reformed folk. The danger is that we celebrate the Reformation, but not the God of the Reformation. And I wanted to set the record straight right up front. What we are celebrating is God. God is the hero of the Reformation, not Luther. And we put Luther on our T-shirts, and we put him on our, our doors and on our posters, But behind Luther and behind Calvin and all these great men and women of God is God himself. God is the hero of the Reformation. And these men and women are like the Hebrews 11 men and women. These are merely witnesses to the greatness and the sovereignty of our great God. And so as we look at these People of the past and the church's history, we are reminded of God's faithfulness to the church. We are reminded that we today stand on the shoulders of these saints who've gone before us. We are strengthened by their ministry. We are provoked by their writings. We are stirred and encouraged to love Jesus because of God's faithfulness to his church. You see, one of the, one of the moments that makes this all so real is for you to consider this. Imagine before the Reformation. Imagine going to church every Sunday and never hearing the gospel. Imagine going to church and never hearing about what Christ has done for you. All you ever hear is what you need to do, what you need to be, what you need to accomplish. And so we are reminded through these men and women, the men and women of the Reformation, that God is the hero. God was faithful to his church, that out of darkness came this great light. Some of these men and women have had profound impacts on the history of the church. And The reason we pause on a Sunday like today is because we want to share some of those names and stories and lives with you. We want you to enjoy the works of Luther and the writings of Calvin. And we want you to know the story of William Tyndale and how he translated the Bible out of Latin into English. And he was killed for that. He was murdered for writing the scriptures into English because The church didn't want the everyday man and woman to have the Bible in their own hands. They wanted to control people because if 
if they could just keep the word to themselves, they had control over the people. And so we want you to know about Tyndale, and we want you to know about John Knox, the thunderbolt of the Reformation in Scotland, and Lady Jane Grey, and Zwingli, and all these others, John Bunyan, who risked literally life and limb for the sake of the gospel. Now, also, we also want to caution against too caught up in all of these wonderful church history fathers. And sometimes we can, we can perhaps lean towards overemphasizing these names. But we, we, we want to understand that through them we see the faithfulness of God. And, and I want to just read to you from Ephesians 3 verse 18, a text that I have found comforting in relation to uh, church history and why church history is so important. And in Paul's prayer, he says this. He's praying that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, Paul is reflecting on the wonder of the love of Christ, the accomplishment of Christ. What has Christ done for us? And Paul says, it's so high, it's so broad, it's so deep, it's so profound that it surpasses knowledge. That the only way we get to catch a glimpse of the glory of the love of Christ is if we comprehend it with all the saints. This is an affirmation of the importance of church history, of why we as a people are a body and not just an individual, why Christianity is a community of people together, because together we comprehend the love of Christ. And I might be comprehend this aspect of the love of Christ, and as I share that aspect with you, you share with me the aspect that you have seen and heard. And together, as we delve into the writings of these great men and women of God, we learn and we begin to comprehend at least a glimpse of the height and the breadth of the love of God in Christ. And so we don't idolize them, but we do value their ministry. We value their input. And together, God has given to the church teachers and pre preachers and pastors for the edifying of the church. So that together with the saints, we comprehend the great love of Christ. Point number two, the Reformation reminds us that the Reformation must continue. So although we look back, in looking back, we get to look forward now, that might sound strange, but actually that's partly what Luther was trying to do. Luther was not trying to start a new movement. In fact, Luther was trying to take the Catholic Church back so that it could go forward. Because what Luther saw in the church was so much abuse, so much scandal, that he didn't try and start a new church. He wanted the church to go back to its roots back to the source, back to Scripture. And so looking back is often very important so that we can move forward. And as we today take time to celebrate the Reformation, we are looking back so that we might shape our future in two ways, things that we should not do 
As we look back into church history, there are some dark moments and some sinful places and moments that we don't want to repeat. We need to look at history and then not repeat certain parts of history. But also as we look back, we see some wonderful examples. And what a day like today reminds us is that as we look back to the Reformation, we realize that the church today still needs reforming. What we see is that this, this Latin Christ, Semper Reformanda, is still relevant today. It was relevant then, Semper Reformanda, meaning reformed, always reforming according to Scripture. And what we are reminding us of today is that it's always appropriate to ask the question, is it biblical? Is what we're doing biblical? Is this what God has said? Because the Bible alone has to be our foundation. We cannot go on what any man has said or any church council has said or any church father has said, or any pope or prophet or priest, or whoever they think they might be, we want to build our lives upon what God has said in his word. And every new generation, please hear me, every new generation has to engage in this battle for historic Christianity all over again. We can't just ride on what the previous generation did. We need to teach and train every new generation that what we need to fight for is the authority of Scripture above all other authorities. It was such a joy this morning to point to two spaces. Firstly, our kids' church across the road, and then our kids in the back. Because both groups of our young generation, of our young kids, on this day, were in those places learning about Martin Luther. And the Reformation. Even the drawings, they were coloring in pictures of the Reformation. Moments that are to shape their lives. Not because Luther was important, but because the Bible is important. And what Luther did for the church was critical in taking us back to the source. Because he saw such contradiction in the church. What he saw in the Bible and what he saw in the church were completely at odds with one another. And so he was like, we've got to go back to the source. And church, today we find ourselves once again at a similar point. The church across the globe is sliding into liberalism. Sliding into deconstruction. There's this new kind of progressive Christianity emerging, which actually doesn't even look like historic Christianity. And, and the, the sneaky part of it is, is that they, 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 when, they, when you say, is it biblical, they say, yes, it's got to be in the Bible, but it's a fresh interpretation. It's a new interpretation of the Scriptures. And it's an inconsistent interpretation, and it's an unfaithful interpretation, and it's a skewed interpretation, it's a twisted interpretation. And we end up with, 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 with a God who is all love but no justice. A God who accepts people to heaven but never sends people to hell. We end up with Jesus dying on a cross, but that's just an example, it's not a substitutionary atonement. 
And then it begins to affect not only theological areas, but morals and ethics. This new wave of liberalism where Christian values are no longer Christian. They're just what the world believes. I mean, surely there should be a difference. There should be, these are godly values. The, the, the godly values now are exactly the same as the world. There's no distinction. Surely that should be a clue that something is wrong. As churches just compromise on cultural pressures around sexuality and gender and marriage, we need to remember that we have to go back to the source, back to the scriptures, back to the Bible rightly interpreted, back to historic Christianity. Semper reformanda. We have to ask it every generation. Thirdly, the Reformation reminds us that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Now, I love this because the first two points are a little bit kind of theological, but this one's a little lighter because, hey, at the end of the day, we're all just ordinary people. Sorry to pop your bubble. But here's the good news. God loves to use ordinary people. And when we study the Reformation, we realize that these were just ordinary people. These were not superheroes. Luther was a monk. Calvin was a pastor. Bunyan was a pot fixer. William Carey was a shoemaker. And the list goes on and on and on of teachers and full-time moms and parents and ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. God used these ordinary people to turn the world upside down. Sounds like an earlier event, kind of around AD 30, when Jesus gathered some ordinary disciples and used ordinary men to transform the world as we know it. God loves to do that. And so when we talk about the Reformation, we're not talking about the elite few, you know, maybe those with theological doctor, doctorates and those that have been through Bible school and maybe you've been in the church for 30 years. No, I'm talking about every single one of you, all of you. If you love Jesus, he wants to use you in extraordinary ways to shape your neighbors and your nation around you. Because God's glory shines brightest when we are simply broken vessels that he uses for his name. And then fourthly, the Reformation reminds us that the gospel is everything. You see, at the center, at the heart of the Reformation, was a recovery of the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, what is justification by faith? Well, justification by faith is a fancy way of saying, how are we made right with God? How are we made right with God? Because that's actually a really important question. Probably the most important question you could ever ask yourself. How do I stand one day before a righteous and holy God. 
How do I find acceptance in the presence of God? And this was the issue that plagued Martin Luther. He, he, he was a monk. He was a Catholic monk. He had signed up for a lifetime of service to the church. But as he was serving the church, he started to see these inconsistencies. And the thing he really wrestled with was, how do I know if I've done enough? You know, it's, it's not a bad thing for Christians to do good works. I'm not, I'm not saying we don't do good works. We, we are prepared for, beforehand, Ephesians 2 tells us, for works of service, for works that bring God glory. But surely our works do not make us acceptable to a holy God. And the problem that Luther discovered was that actually what God requires, if we're going to stand before a holy God, what God requires is perfection. And so he wrestled with this issue, and he was wrestling with this idea of how can God, who is perfect and righteous, demand from sinners perfect righteousness? That seems unfair. Luther was aware of his sin. Luther was aware of his evil heart and his efforts that were never good enough, and his idea of God who's perfectly righteous, and now God demands perfect righteousness, but how am I ever to produce it? I cannot. And how do I know if I've done enough? Until he realized that he can't actually produce perfection. No matter how hard he tried, no matter how much he sacrificed, no matter how much he beat himself up, no matter how much he was self-disciplined, no matter how much he served and loved others, it was never going to be enough because God required perfection. John Calvin said this about justification. He said, justification is the hinge on which the door of salvation swings. And the door will swing shut if we have to contribute, if I have to contribute to my salvation, the door will not open. Because effectually what you're saying is that Jesus, you do some and I do some and then I get in. That's not the gospel. That's actually really bad news. That's not good news. The reason the gospel is called good news is because it's not good advice. It's news. This is something we proclaim. The finished work of Jesus is what swings the door open, not your efforts, not your contribution. What swings the door of salvation open is Christ's perfect work credited to your account. So Luther said this, Luther said, this is the article by which the church stands or falls. Without it, the church cannot exist for one hour. Luther goes on, look at this. He has Luther's own words. He said, though I lived like a monk, without reproach, so he was incredibly disciplined, I still felt that I was a sinner before God. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place. 
Now, he's talking about Romans 1, verse 17. He's, he's talking about what's in the Bible. He sees something in the Bible, and he's beating upon Paul, the apostle Paul, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, he says, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. And here he quotes the scripture, in it, it being the gospel, in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is a free gift. Sorry, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And, and so this was the moment. Look what he says. He says, there I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a free gift from God received by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself. You see, for Luther, the lights came on here. Because what Paul was saying was, yes, you need to be righteous, but God has provided for you the righteousness. It's not your self-righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that saves you. So you do need to be perfect. You do need to be perfect. Only perfect people go to heaven. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Good people don't go to heaven. Yes, you heard that at Covenant Grace. I'll say it again. Good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people. <laughs> Do we really believe that? I'll tell you what, it's true. It's the truth. And the first thing you and I need to say is, I'm not perfect. I'm not. I am not perfect. And so there's a problem. Do you feel the problem? The Bible tells us only perfect people get to heaven, and I'm not perfect. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to try harder? Do you want some good advice? No, you don't need good advice. You need good news. Amen? You need good news. And the only good news is Jesus, his righteousness, his perfect life can be yours. How? Now, you should be going, I'll have that. Give me that. Because that's the only way I'm going to get to heaven. I need that righteousness. Romans 5 verse 1. Have a look with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just three things. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, notice it doesn't say faith and good works. Faith and self-righteousness. How are you justified? By faith. That's it. Notice also that it's past tense. You have been justified by faith. This is a finished work. This is not what you produce. This is not your contribution. This is what you receive. Faith is not a work. It is a gift that God gives you to believe, to take hold of what Christ has done. It is a receiving with empty hands the finished work of Christ. 
This is a declaration. The word justification here is an act of God. This is God declaring you justified. So by faith in Jesus, if I have faith in Christ, if I trust in Jesus, if I acknowledge that I'm, there's no way I'm getting to heaven, I'm going, I, on my own, I'm going to hell because I need to be perfect. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Jesus, my Savior. And I'm going to cling to him. That's what faith is, is clinging to Christ, trusting in him. And what happens? God looks at that and he goes, justified. Not because of what I've done, but because of my faith in Jesus. In other words, what happens is Jesus' righteousness becomes credited to you. You receive the righteous works of Jesus. Now, not internally, because we still got to work that out. That's sanctification. This is justification. This is a declaration of your life, which is what Luther spoke about. He said, this righteousness that I receive, it's an alien righteousness, he said. It's out of this world, both in its scope and in its objective reality. And it's imparted to us. It's credited to us. And look at the result. Second point. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know what that means? Firstly, what it implies. It implies that before you were justified by faith, there was no peace with God. Do you see that? In other words, there was a real problem. And the problem was, God is holy and you're a sinner. And so there is no peace between you and God. Actually, you were an enemy of God. There is no peace. There is turmoil. There is a problem here that needs to be resolved. And the only way to resolve it is through Christ's righteousness. You've been justified by your faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting there. But why do we now have peace? We have peace because we've been justified. Not through our works, not through our efforts or self-righteous deeds, but through Christ. We have peace. The war is over. When I trust in Jesus, I get to go to heaven. I get to fellowship with God for all eternity because the war is over. Romans 5 goes on in verses 9 and 10. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him. Look at this, from the wrath of God. There was a serious problem. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by how? The death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. His life, not yours. And so the war is over. We are no longer enemies. We've been saved by God, from God, for God. That's what justification is. And then the obvious mediator is the final statement. Since therefore you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the only mediator. He's the only perfect one. He's the only righteous one. He's the only one who can save. Not through a bishop, not through a pope or a priest or a pastor or some modern day prophet. I told the church this morning that I was so grieved this week as I watched the news here in South Africa of the so-called prophet. In our, is he in the Eastern Cape even? I think no. But, but just hearing the stories of the abuse, of the corruption, and the sadness of what you hear where these people are trying to defend this false prophet who seemingly is mediating blessings. It's just absolute rubbish. In the name of Christ, they do this. The church needs reforming. There is only one mediator through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be made right with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news today. Thank you that your that your word is not just advice. Hey, do these things and maybe you'll improve. <laughs> we thank you that, that actually the gospel is news. It's, it's a finished work. It's a declaration of what Christ has done for us. That we can be made right with a holy God through the salvation that comes in Christ. And so liberating and so freeing. And it actually causes us to want to do works and want to live for your glory, want to worship you. And so we thank you today that we get to look back. And in looking back, we want to learn how to go forward. And so that's my prayer for us. As we look back, I pray that our future would be strong, that we'd be guarded from error, as we look back, we would learn and we would be shaped into a better and brighter future for your church. And so, Lord, may we constantly always be asking the question, is this what God says? Is this the good news of the gospel? Does this bring glory to Christ? And so, Father, I pray that you would just refresh our hearts with the joy of Jesus tonight. Refresh our hearts with the joy of the gospel, this glorious good news that we simply receive by faith. What an incredible, incredible, it seems scandalous that we get to go to heaven not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. This is such good news. It's so simple that many miss it. And so we thank you, Jesus. We give you all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Just in your own words, just, just thank the Lord Jesus where you're seated right now, in your heart or out loud, however you want to do it. Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your perfect life. 
Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that it's your life and your death that saves us. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.